Now, what if uh, every time you bought a cup of coffee, there was a cancer warning? The state of California is debating putting such warnings on coffee products since a non-profit organisation sued dozens of coffee sellers for not warning of potentially harmful health effects. Let's bring in Sarah Randanso, legal reporter for the Wall Street Journal in Los Angeles, California, who has written a piece on this subject. Thank you very much for speaking with us. Thanks for having me. And, I mean, perhaps we need to just get out the way, first of all. I am a, a, a very much a coffee drinker. Are you a coffee drinker as well? Unfortunately, I can't drink caffeine, but I still love the decaf. Okay. And and in the decaf pro- process, do you still have the problem of the carcinogen acrylamide? It is, yeah. This right. chemical called acrylamide is uh, created in the roasting process for all coffee. Right. So, so we, we're both affected by this potentially. Now we get that out the way. Um, tell us what's happened in California. How did coffee become a subject of litigation in the first place? Yeah, so everyone in California is quite familiar here with signs that we see pretty much everywhere. And they say something along the lines of Prop 65 warning, a chemical um, known to the state of, you know, a chemical on this product is known to the state of California to cause cancer or, or reproductive harm. And so the law is from the 1980s, and it was passed with the intent to warn people of potential harms and also clean up the drinking water. And so they have this list. Over time, it's evolved into almost a thousand chemicals on this list that any time a product or location like a parking garage contains any of these chemicals, the business is required to warn about it. And so the way it's worked, it's now evolved to the point where this chemical acrylamide, which is an industrial chemical, um, used for things like making paper and dyes. It's also a byproduct in food, and so now there's a lot of uh, litigation over whether food products with acrylamide also should contain these warnings. Yeah, so d- just to be clear on that, uh, they're not adding acrylamide to coffee. It is just a byproduct of the roasting process, and we find it with other exactly. things. Um, yeah, that- and so in the in the litigation... Oh, sorry, just a note on that. In the When the trial... There was a trial last year that now it's in front of the judge to, to make a decision on this. The attorney for the coffee makers said, you know, you won't see anywhere in this trial that we have an acrylamide adding station back at the coffee plant. You know, it's something that occurs through the roasting process, but as you say, it's not a product added to the, to the coffee. Is there an adequate way of removing it, though? So that's up for some debate. The coffee makers and sellers say that it would tamper with the flavor and that there's not, but the uh, people pushing the lawsuits say they have experts who've shown you could remove or at least lessen the amount of acrylamide. So that's a little above my pay grade to know who's right on that, but there is debate over whether you could remove it or not. Well, yeah, I mean, a lot of the research is also beyond my expertise, but I do have this <laughs> in front of me. Uh, the International Agency for Research on, on Cancer did classify acrylamide as a Group 2A carcinogen for humans mm-hmm. based on animal studies back in 2002. But Mm -hmm. we should also point out that according to further research, it turns out that studies showing cancer links between acrylamide in rats and mice use doses 1,000 to 100,000 times higher than the usual amounts, that that the amounts that we would find, and this is on a weight basis, uh, in dietary sources that humans would absorb. And we are also Mm -hmm. thought to absorb acrylamide differently to rodents. (laughs) Now, 
taking those factors into consideration and then also taking into consideration the fact that uh, coffee has actually been associated with a lower risk of certain cancers, also of type 2 diabetes, multiple sclerosis, Alzheimer's. Should we be very cautious about how we interpret this move by California? Yeah, I think that's right. And I also just want to make a tiny point, which is that the state of California itself isn't the one encouraging the labels. It's a, you know, the, the law is passed in California and has been on the book since the 80s. But it's a very interesting facet of it is that any citizen or lawyer can bring a lawsuit against the company saying, we think you should put a label because of this law. And so basically it's private parties litigating this. And so it's essentially this nonprofit that's saying we think there should be a label and therefore if they win their lawsuit, there will be. But interestingly, the state doesn't actually intervene or hasn't intervened in this one, um, just as a clarifying point. But yeah, your broader point is a good one in that with all of these things on this list, these 900 chemicals, it's all a matter of dosage. It's a matter of how you're ingesting it. And so uh, there's a lot of debate over whether these warnings are needed just because of the, the low levels of this chemical that we're getting. And, I mean, for you as a journalist, it, it, it must be an intriguing question. I, I'm sitting here in a studio surrounded by screens showing various international outlets. And through the course of this morning, I've seen big headlines come up saying things like coffee causes cancer, question mark, and, and that sort of thing. And and for a lot of people, they won't necessarily go through all these details of Proposition 65 and, and the nature of the law in California. And what will stay with them is this idea that coffee may cause cancer. Are, are you worried about the way in which these things can be kind of misconstrued? Yeah, it's definitely something that happens here in California where there's so many warnings that some people liken it to the boy who cried wolf where people just see them everywhere. So in California, we're immune to them. But you're right that people who aren't familiar with this law, to them, it's a lot more shocking if they see a cancer warning label on their coffee. And so one of um, I spoke to a retired oncologist who obviously studied cancer for a living. And he said that, you know, the point of a warning is to change behavior. But when there's a warning on things that are such everyday products that are questionably dangerous, it just becomes less useful because it, if you're not changing behaviors, what's the point of the warning? I mean, questionably dangerous and, and actually potentially very beneficial as well. I mean, some people are very yes. caffeine sensitive and that's a different question, but, mm-hmm. but, but coffee is supposedly loaded with antioxidants and other benefits, phytochemicals, again, beyond our pay grade to go into too much detail, but people can research that themselves if they want to make their own informed decisions. Um, exactly. What about um, the other question approaching this as a journalist? Uh, do you have sympathy for news consumers who, who next week might come across an article lauding the benefits of coffee? Uh, do, do, do you think news outlets, TV stations, newspapers need to be somehow responsible or should we also as a radio station just be carrying the news as it comes whether it contradicts or doesn't yeah it's a good question i do feel like there's just there's always a study we could find a study that tells us anything and and find contradictory studies in both directions on so many things and so i do think that when journalists cover studies or research we obviously uh, you know can't redo the entire study or research to determine if it's accurate, but I do think, you know, only the most reputable ones should be reported on. And 
there should be some caution in just reflexively reporting on a study that has a catchy name before digging a little into the methodology and making sure this is something the public, you know, that you feel comfortable presenting to the public. Is there any suggestion through this that Proposition 65 is coming under pressure and that the law in California could change or on the opposite side that others might take up this this legal approach? Yeah, so there's been, I didn't get into it too much in my initial piece, but there's a, a whole cottage industry of litigation around Proposition 65 and there's entire law firms and nonprofits that all they do is look for people to sue under the law. So there are a lot of critics who say it's become a little bit of a, a bounty hunter situation where the law really just benefits those suing over it. Others say that through the years there have been uh, some products that have um, become more safe because of the litigation and chemicals that have been removed from things that we consume every day. Uh, but there's no move at all to get rid of the law. And in fact, they've just there's been some changes to it where starting later in the year, um, people will get a little more information, fortunately, on these labels. Right now, the labels are very generic often, and they just say, a chemical causes cancer in this building, and soon uh, more of the signs will actually say the name of the chemical so people can do a little more research themselves. But I do think this law is here to stay, at least for the foreseeable future. Sarah Randazzo, legal reporter for The Wall Street Journal in Los Angeles, California. Thank you very much for clearing up uh, the story for us, as many people will have probably already come across or will during the course of the day come across some of those alarming headlines. Good to have you with us. Sure thing. Thank you.